welcome y'all to another episode of Love and Black with Tori and Terry. I'm Terry, and this is my husband, Tori, and we're glad you're here with us. This is where we keep your love in the positive. Hey, honey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, guys, welcome back to another episode here. We got a special guest for you tonight. So uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and just open us up in prayer. I was just going to ask you to do that. Yeah. Perfect. So... Hey, dear Heavenly Father, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you for this day, this opportunity, this evening to be able to come to your people, oh Lord, and talk about love and relationships. So we're going to ask some questions, and we just pray that you be with us on this evening, oh Lord. So we love you. We thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. So, thank you for that. Tonight's show is packed, y'all. We have a good word tonight. Okay, we have a good word from um, my husband and our guests. But let me tell you about our guest. He's um, a legendary concert promoter out of California. Uh, here's the cool thing. He's also a relationship champion. So um, this man has wisdom that, like they say, that surpasses all understanding of the dynamics of men and women as it relates to relationship challenges. So we're going to hear from him. And I've known him for a long time, for over, I mean, many years. He's from California. And he always has a good word. He really has a good word. So stay with us. I promise you, this will not disappoint you. Um, what's happening with you? you got, I think, I mean, are you excited? What are you doing? No, it's, it's cool because uh, it's funny, guys. I'm on the other side of this now. And, uh, it feels a little weird, huh? Yeah, it does. It does. But it's cool. It's so, a little weird for me, I mean, too, but it's a nice switch. It's yeah, it nice is. It is. So, I mean, hey, that's why we love Black with Tori and Terry. So, both our names on the billboard. So, we can both switch it up and do what we need to do. I, um, for those of you uh, that watched the show last week, uh, you noticed that I was the only one on there. Well, my wife received an award that, that same uh the evening so i had to uh hold down the fort and just wanted to again uh in front of everyone here just congratulate her again on receiving the deborah arising award uh down here in houston that so was definitely an honor yeah not just an honor but uh there's some very residual humbling. things that have come out of that so uh we are very happy and uh you know that's another reason why we start our prayer today because we just wanted to uh, you know, just thank God, you know, in advance, you know, just like at the awards, right? You know, I want to give uh, honor to all that stuff. So yeah, anyway, no, seriously, on a serious note, very, very grateful. And even just the event itself really changed a lot for us. Um, we just felt the atmosphere was just a wonderful place to be. And it was really, it was life-changing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was all good. So we're going to go to commercial, and then we're going to be right back with our special guest. Don't go
Hey, and we're back. Hey, thanks for staying with us. Our guest tonight is a mogul who has sewn into many great entertainers. As you see his name on the screen there, I put uh, event promoter or entertainment promoter, but I'm sure he's more than that. But anyway, he's a legend in, um, in the Oakland Bay Area and um, founder of the Bay Area Productions, which was uh, back in, what, 1984? So, man, just, just as long as I've been out of high school, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's an independent black-owned uh, concert production special events company that's, uh, again, based out of Oakland, specializing in presenting top-quality live right. entertainment to the urban markets. Please welcome Mr. Bay Area Production himself, the legendary Mr. Lionel B. Woo! What's up, man? Corey, Terry, how are you today? We're good. Welcome. We're good. Welcome to Houston. Bye. I stream. I know, <laughs> <Not> right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you're used to that by now, though. So yeah. I missed you, man. I was been trying to get with you since last year. It's taken me a year, but we did it, y'all. We got Mr. Lionel Beer this night. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, I'm and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Okay, so I have this thing, <laughs> and it's called Rapid Fire. It's a little icebreaker for our viewers, but also for us too, and it gives people a peek into who you are and what you know, what you like, what you're about. You want to okay. play? You ready? Yeah, yeah okay. go ahead. It's gonna be kind of this thing, and I give you either or, and you just pick one. Okay. All right. Here we go. Apple or Android? Say it again. Apple or Android? Android. Okay. What? Mary J or Jasmine Sullivan? Mary J. Okay. Southern Cafe Soul Food or Everett and Jones Barbecue? Are you going to get me in trouble? <laughs> Everybody does that. I do that here in Houston. People are like, Stop. You're going to get me in trouble. I mean, I love them both. I know, I know. Right. I did not put Roma Chicken and Waffles on there on purpose because I knew yeah. that would be a problem. <laughs> so I have to say, Southern Cafe Soul Food, just because they have a more variety of items to choose from. Okay, listen up. Man, I love their oxtails. I love their oxtails. Okay, you guys, it's a rapid fire. Okay, and he does this all the time, so let's just kind of put him over here in the sound. <laughs> He's a sound. Okay, here we go. Silks or ivy? Um, neither. Okay. I wasn't a nightclub person, but if if I had to do it all over, okay, which one? Okay. It would be silks. Okay, too short or forty. Now, listen, you will be in trouble again. But, I mean, it's obvious that I have to side with Too Short because I, I was his tour manager for years. So, but I love E40 as well. I know. Okay, okay. Yoshi's or Kimball's East? Uh, Kimball's East. Ooh, okay. Oakland Raiders or Vegas Raiders? I mean, that's obvious. The Oakland Raiders. <laughs> NBA All-Star or Super Bowl? And you know what I mean by that because we were at All-Star together. You know what I mean? Which one? Um, well, you know, I've been to both. Um, if you want to party, you go to All-Star. Yeah. If you want to chill, you go to Super Bowl. So um, I'm going to say um, NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah, it's, it's always the best. All right. Here we go. Ready? Drum roll. To see Mays and Frankie Beverly, would you pick? Berkeley Greek Theater or the Conquer Pavilion? Well, you really gonna get me in business trouble now. 
personal favorite, and I'll share it with you once you answer. Wow. I know. Wow. I know. Because I, I, I think I first saw Frankie at the Greek, but I promote him at the Concord Pavilion. <laughs> Let's just let's, can we just agree that the Greek theater, Frankie Beverly, with the sun going down. Right. Yeah, that. Right so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I have to go with my first memory, even though I do promote him at Concord Pavilion. But my first memory was seeing him at the Greek, and I was sitting on the lawn, and the sun was going down. And it's a beautiful view. So yeah, so just for viewing purposes, one time, I'll choose the Greek for that. One. Perfect for look at California. Okay, thank you so much. You are so good, and thank you for. Man, y'all shut me out with all this Bay Area stuff. But you know I, need, what? I need some East Coast references here. But that. you know what? That just takes. So many things that there's so much that has to do with the pop culture of the Bay Area. You know, um, just I mean, wonderful, wonderful trivia. And some places are closed down, but it just goes to show you the richness of the Bay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Lana, we we. Uh, mention a couple things that you've done but um give our viewers a quick snapshot of who you are and uh what you do and how you do it so um i am um lionel b from bay area productions in oakland and i've been in i'm a concert promoter i've been an artist manager as well but um i've i've promoted concerts since 1984 june 15 1984 my first concert was run dmc uh oh and with uh, the Egyptian Lover and Uncle Jam's Army, that was my first show. And so um, over the years, we've developed the company um, into a prominent black concert production company, specializing in urban music. So we've worked with everyone from Stevie Wonder to Ice Cube. So yeah. I've worked with Janet um, Jackson on shows. I've worked with, not her personally, but I promoted Janet Jackson. Beyonce, Jay Z, Ray Charles, BB King, Ice Cube, all of you, all the greats. Alicia Keys, Erica Badu, Jill Scott, Maxwell, D'Angelo, Mary J. On and on. Create a new playlist tonight. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let me let me say this too. You know, I just um, I just helped form a company. Um, called the Black Promoters Collective. And even though I'm the pr black promoter in the West Northern Northern California, we partnered up with six other black promoters from around the country. So we've all come together. It's called the Black Promoters Collective. And, um, our CEO is right there in Houston with you, Gary Guidry. Okay. Um, you know, so black promoters trying to come together because we, black people always enjoy music, right? But um, black people don't always get to be on the business side of the music. Systematically, we are eliminated from that. And so I think it's important that um, that we be on the business side. And mm -hmm. and so, the, you know, we're bidding on some major tours and, you know, trying to make it happen. Well, that's good. Uh, glad to hear and glad. You know, I mean, we're about everything black also. But, um, you know, what we really like is the fact that you guys are able to collaborate and, and, and do this and, uh, you know, create some unity and harmony mm -hmm. within our culture, man. So, hit, kudos so you that guys. speaks to future musicians, too, and artists that see that because that's what we need to show them more of. You know, there's been so much division over the years. And I 
but well, you know, but but you know, black artists have to cooperate too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they have to want to work with black business people, and I just think that when blacks see other blacks, there's a mistrust that has been sown into our yes, Willie Lynn syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me ask you this: What's the difference between working with the artists? back in, you know, all those ones that you were just mentioning, you know, back in our day and then working with the newer art, artists of now. It's so different. Um, I think that um, the older artists, um, they learned how to be more professional, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Motown artists had to go to basically a school you know yeah, school, all of that yeah university how to dance how to sing how to conduct yourself how to dress how to be just behave in public how to how to do interviews you I know? Was gonna say they appreciate the guidance more so than nowadays it's just so you know yeah. i mean you got i mean because who was it that i think was it's saying- the, me personally i think it's vision back then you know they they weren't in it for the money but now it's more like they're in it for the money versus you know, hey, I just want to sing. I just want. They to... were real artists. Yeah, yeah they, they had artists. a calling on their life, and there was a lot of like. I mean, they were, they were musicians. Yeah. So there was instruments involved. There was they were coming in large numbers for the whole group, and they was they. I don't think. I mean, of course, everybody has their their level of being starstruck and you know, kind of feeling themselves with their ego. But nowadays, it is so different in the sense that it's just changed. It's just changed over the years, and it almost kind of reminds me. If you think of like back in the day day of how now like you at one point you had those that were ballers that were musicians or artists and now you have those there i mean they're drug addicts a lot of them are you know what i mean it's like change it's well weird. a lot of them a lot of them for real it affects though, are, their behavior yeah a lot of them for real though are college educated mm-hmm. but they put on that persona that they were drug dealers and things like that well let me give you two the two differences so i don't blame the artists of today because the artists of uh, today don't have that large record company that would teach them mm-hmm. the business on how to behave. You know, they the artists today haven't been groomed, uh-huh. so um, the record uh, labels are almost non-existent, and so artists have to do everything themselves. So they have to shoot their own album covers, record their albums, promote it, and then once it sells, then a record label might pick them up I mean because the big labels are still around but they're just they're just very choosy about who they yeah. who they get in business with so that, that's one thing but today's artists are much more savvy about the business part of it yeah they own their own publishing which they, mm-hmm. they, they own their own songs um and they're just they're just much up on um, collecting their money and getting yeah. their fair share. I think they have more today, you didn't have much of a choice. Exactly. I, I think the artists of the day have more access to these things, and especially, you know, they've fallen behind Prince and uh, and Michael Jackson. That you know, artists that that kept their you know their rights to yeah, uh, their music, their publishing rights, and all. And well, uh, for his, for sure. But you you know, a guy that owned his own publishing was Rick James as well. You know. Um, yes. Um, and then I know that there was a big lawsuit at some point in the later in the last um, century. And um, 
um, a lot of artists from the 60s and 70s were able to get their royalties and get their ownership of their music back. So, and some of the laws have changed and everything. So, yeah. Interesting. It's very. So let me tell you this. I mean, let me ask you this. Um, how did you learn the business? Like, was this always a career choice for you? You knew out of high school, this is what I'm going to do? Or was it like, oh, no, I wanted to be something else. I wanted to be a chemist or something. How did you stumble into this business or even arrive? At well, um, I always loved music. When I was a little kid, my mom would take me to the record store. T.Y.U.Z.I. Records in East Oakland. Or the House of Music. House, House of Music, Music, yeah. And then later on, T.Y.U.Z.I. Records. But um, yeah, so um, I always loved music. And and um, when I was about 14 or 15, um, when I was in middle school, I used to MC the, the dances and everything. And I always wanted to be a radio DJ. So my uncle allowed me to work in his nightclub as a DJ on Friday nights, Friday and Saturday nights. So I'd dress up like an adult as a 15-year-old. And I would actually work in a nightclub and um, as a DJ. And it um, it was fun. It, it, it made me grow up pretty fast. I saw things that no 15-year-old child should ever see. <laughs> My son is 15 right now. I would never let him see the things that I saw. Yeah. And um, But it was a great experience for me. So that was my launching path to getting into business. So what would you say is your has been your greatest reward being in the entertainment business? Um, just not having to work for someone else. I don't think my personality is that of someone that could work a nine to five and have someone else dictate your future. Mm-hmm. I think that would have stressed me out. And um, and that's why we're entrepreneurs ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Not, just not one to conform to the whole corporate thing. I understand. Exactly. Let me ask you this. Was there ever a time that came about where you thought about just walking away? I mean, and there, there was a turning moment that it's like, okay, this is my aha moment of this, of being in this, this industry. You know, um, I'm going to tell you something. Most people have that story, which is funny about, there was a time they just wanted to give up. A few years ago, I got I got a little depressed about the business because um, as a black promoter, if, if, if let's say, if, if, if an artist wants $100,000, if a rock and roll promoter, which are basically white guys, if they wanted to offer that, that artist that black artist a hundred thousand dollars sometimes that artist would pick the rock promoter because they might promote madonna or bruce springsteen or whatever it's something in our psyche that really that we're really screwed up as a people right and so basically the rock promoter gets to promote all the, the white shows and the rock shows in the country and all that and then they get a lot of the black shows which leads people like me it's a small number of groups to um, to promote. So I, I really got down and I was really thinking about quitting. And there's a guy out there and and I hope he sees this interview. His name is Sam Watson. And Sam works with Al Heyman and Floyd Mayweather and all those guys. And um, they had a fight in Oakland and um, Andre Ward was fighting the Oakland uh, Oakland's middleweight champion, world middleweight champion. And Sam and I, sat out in front of the hotel one day in the plaza and we talked for like two hours 
and he talked me off the ledge. So yeah, there was a time that I was really thinking about quitting. But, cause I feel like I have skills to do other things as well. But Sam really, he probably doesn't even know this. And, and so I would say to everyone out there, be nice to people because you never know exactly what you say that day, how that could change someone's life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, so no, it's Christmas say you never know you may be entertaining angels. So that's exactly. Yeah. So yeah. And somebody talked you off the ledge. That was definitely, you know, your guardian angel uh, interceding at that point. Yeah. So well, this is cool, man. Mm -hmm. But do you have any uh favorite artists you like to work with? Um, what's funny is I always uh, joke with friends and say, you know, be careful about meeting your heroes because you you might not like them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I mean, there's some just down to earth, nice people in the business, mm -hmm. you know, um, like someone who's just, who's just really, really nice people like Cedric the Entertainer. You know, Sinbad, this really nice. Um, Patty LaBelle was really nice. Oh, yeah, she yeah. definitely. She's yeah. Frankie, Frankie Beverly is a really nice guy. Um, yeah. So is Charlie Wilson. So uh, I hope I didn't leave anyone out. I mean, there, there are a lot of, but you know, there are people that you don't like or don't, they rub you the wrong way or, or arrogant or whatever. But for the most part, as being a promoter, if you're paying people, they're going to be nice to you. So I don't run into that often. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Who was the most challenging artist that you've worked with? Challenging. I, I would have to say Rick James was challenging. What was it about that? Times. Was it prior to drugs? I mean, because of course everybody's a challenge when they, you know, when they've got when they're, you know, under the influence. When when you say prior to drugs, when was that? Oh, okay. My yeah. No, I mean, no, before it came out, before it really came out as, you know, really bad. I don't know him. I mean, I, I met him briefly. Um, but I knew some people that knew him back in Pittsburgh, you know, uh -huh. and um, so I heard the stories even before he became, you know, Rick James, <laughs> you know, how he was too. So nothing's pretty much surprising. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not demeaning him. I, it's yeah. just, uh, we love it. When you say challenging, um, I mean, like, I mean, was there these like, like coming up three hours late for a show? You know, yeah, or, or I want to make sure I well, have you know, blue yeah, like, my own. Like, like, if you're doing a funk festival and you got six acts on the show and you're supposed to have a 30 minute sound check, they take an hour and 15 minutes, you know, not, yeah. not caring about what the effect might be on other artists. So, like, yeah. Yeah, no like that, yeah. But um, I was a I was the biggest Rick James fan. I just wish that I had never met him because no, because I had a way up here, and and that's that that's you know the expectation was too high, yeah. and that, that was my fault, not his. He is mm -hmm. who he is, but and there there's certain artists that you know when you meet people and you you would hope that they were nice or whatever, but you get a few that weren't. So uh, Rick was there. Yeah. Yeah, Rick was just more. The few times I promoted his shows, it, it, he was just more of um, God. What? Just, just 
I wish that his life was together because he's so talented. He was. And so smart. Shout out to Rick James. Yeah. I'm trying to remind you of Prince and all of that man can sing, play multiple instruments, and, and, and it was an entertainer all in one, you know? Right. Yeah. So, and again, man. Sometimes people's talent is too much even for them, you know, and what that draws and what that, you know. How, yeah, that, yeah. how that blows up and just becomes so famous and all. I mean, if you're not ready for it and if you don't really know how to deal with it, it can be a lot to handle. We've heard well, that. Well, on that, to that point, I have a, a good friend of mine who passed away some years ago, but he was he was my best friend and he was a, a music historian. And we were talking one day about um, how there's no book to prepare you for all of this fame and glory and money and everything you know, because, you know, you've seen a lot of people fall. And he looked at me and said, no, there is a book. It's called the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and and it got me like, wow, you're right. Yeah, it, it it can prepare you for that. But, you know, um, this business will eat you up because, you know, there's there's music, drug, rock and roll. But they're, they're the women, you know. Um, if you're a square dude and never had a, a woman before, and all of a sudden now you're in the music business and they're flocking all over you. How do you, you know, some people don't know how to deal with that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great segue into relations. And you and I were talking the other night and uh, you were telling me about, you know, different aspects of relationships and, and things that you've encountered out on the road and, and all. And uh, would you consider yourself a relationship guru? Facebook, what were you talking about? No, so so here's the running joke, right? The wisdom. So I um, you know, I've had people tell me that I'm a little wise and I'm older, you know, I'm an old man or whatever, and just in how I might conduct myself. And but you know, people come to me for advice or whatever, and so I have a lot of single female friends, you know, okay. and, and some of them have come um, for advice or whatever I've asked me what did I think because you know being in the music business you travel around you see everything yeah I've you know it gives you a different education if you just work a nine to five when you you know uh you can learn a lot of um what people will and won't do mm -hmm. in life in the music business you know backstage and at the meet and greet and at the after party and you know and on and on and on and so um you know i, I call myself a cultural observer a black cultural ob observationist okay and so i've been able to observe um a lot of things so as far as being an expert or or whatever i don't know if that's the proper word but i definitely have observed things i have an opinion about it and you know there are people who value my advice and so oh. I th i've been able to help some people hey what about men just the same do men ask you too i mean have you found yourself that you've helped somebody's you know when it came to the relationship advice just in just talking well you know um men don't usually ask for advice but men will talk about their issues and terry could probably attest to this and maybe with the intention of getting some feedback but you know I, I wouldn't call Terry up and go, hey man. Tori, really, uh, you getting us mixed up. You've been knowing me forever, Tori. But I might, you know, I, I might um 
like if I call Toria, I might say, hey, uh, man, let me tell you what happened to me today. Knowing that he's going to give me feedback. So men operate. There's a way. Yeah, there's a way. Yeah. Yeah. Women want to know. They'll ask you specific questions. I got 110 questions there for you. We got some questions for you tonight. That's what I'm saying. Let's get started. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm listening. Here we go. So I pulled some, um, and I wanted to do both of you. So, honey, will you help? You go ahead. Yeah. I don't do this. Okay. So um, I pulled a couple, and we get letters every day. And so I was like, okay, let me pull some that I think would be helpful because, and also some that speak to kind of the same type of thing. Mm -hmm. So there may be some similarities here, but that just goes to show you how these dilemmas are not just isolated. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, Bernadette out of Maryland. Let me put my glasses on. I hear better. Um, okay, let's see. Bernadette out of Maryland. <laughs> my man has a habit of being a flirt when we are out. He's always the life of the party. And when I express discomfort in his behavior with females when we're out, he says I'm being too sensitive and makes it about me. Never addressing his behavior that at times can be disrespectful. What what should I do? What type of behaviors is he exhibiting? I mean... I mean, she would have to be more specific, but well, he has a habit of being a flirt when they're out. And so I, I would ask her that she think he has the intention of uh, is he flirting with the intention of doing something, or or taking it further, or if he's is he just flirting to be social, to maybe boost his self esteem a little bit, you know? I think that um, men and women have to give each other a little room. You know, so just imagine in what I do for a living, I'm in the concert business. So, you know, it's 12,000 people at a show. Afterwards, the meet and greet might have 50 or 100 people there. You know, I know women from all over the country, friends, people. I was on the NWA tour in 89. I still have friends from that tour. Wow. And if I go to a city, I might call them up and invite them to a show. So if you're dating someone or if you're married to someone, they can't be jealous of that relationship. And at the same time, I've been told that men need to try to make their women secure as much as possible. But, you, you know, depending on the type of guy that you date, you, you have to, um, you can't be so thin skinned. And, and the thing that I would say is that no woman wants a man nobody else wants. Well, yeah, I mean, she said it, never addressing his behavior, so putting it on her. What would you say about that when he puts it on her, never addressing the behavior that at times can be disrespectful? Well, he should be, you know, he, he should be conscious, but, um, you know, the definition of disrespectful, we'd have to be a bit more specific. Yeah. Well, uh, what, what I would do, what's the name, Bernadette? I think flirting is disrespectful. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, Bernadette, what I would suggest is, you know, you create some boundaries around when you guys go out. So, you know, he'll know what to expect or what not to expect from you. And as far as, you know, what you, I mean, you know, there's a couple things. One, what is considered flirtatious? I mean, you know, so men and women, we have, we probably have two definitions of it, you know, one each. So, What's the definition of flirtations, especially if he's life of the party, which means that he's used to, you know, hobnob, you know, smoozing with different types of people, men or women. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's flirting. He's just the life of the party. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm telling you, in my business, I've seen women be very insecure over the most innocent things. 
I'm not saying that's the case in this situation, but. And that could be. Um, there could also just simply be, there's a way to conduct yourself when you're out with your woman. And, um, you know, if you're life apart and that's, you know, if you're out, that's just you. But I think that there should be, like my husband said, the boundaries. When you're out with your woman, when it comes to respect. Because if I don't believe, I think that men are so good for dishing it, but they can't take it. And if the shoe was on the other foot, don't know how well he would be able to maintain. And even when it came to having the discussion afterwards, I think it's about just respect overall for one another. Um, I, I suggest to Bernadette, you're watching, you know, you made, a, you made a big point here and that was my man, he's not your husband. And that might be something to rethink if he just continues to put it on you and not hear you. I don't think you're being heard. And I think that's why you're bringing your question here because you don't feel heard. Yeah. And, and, and I can't compare every guy to how I think because I don't believe in cheating or whatever. So when I, when I, when I, you know, my intentions might be different. So we don't have enough information to know from her yeah. what exactly is going on. I think we've given her enough advice yeah, for to her kind to, of, to yeah. put it all together. Yeah, kind of yeah. <laughs> okay, next one, Colette out of Charlotte, North Carolina. My husband and I have been together six years and we have hit a wall. We are unable to communicate about anything related to us. We can manage everything else outside of us. Whenever we try, it becomes a war zone. I generally want the best for us. However, his lack of leadership in even acknowledging that we are in trouble and showing concern for wanting to fix it makes me question why he stays. Counseling. There you go. Determine what's your why then. I mean, that last that last part of that sentence. Um, what you say? Why he stays makes me question why he stays. I mean, you know, what's your why? What's his why? Well, you I generally want the best for us. So, yeah, um, I think she's looking for him because she said, I genuinely want the best for us. However, his lack of leadership and even acknowledging that we're in trouble. So they've hit a wall. They're unable to communicate about anything relating to them. They say they manage everything else smoothly outside of them. Well, you might not think that's an issue. They all problem. But, but she also gave away her power and um, by saying why he stays. Like, um, she should determine why she's in the why she's still in the relationship. She should determine what she wants. She should determine in her mind what she thinks they need. And so you don't. It's sort of like saying, "Well, if you don't if you don't like it, then why are you still here?" I'm, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree, one hundred. Don't give away your power like that. Yeah, and you know what? Because it's marriage, I don't know what her ideals are when it comes to this being marriage, and that was why I differentiated that with dating because i think dating you're just not as tolerant you know there's a major zero tolerance but um with this here with the leadership um i think that's her trying to give the respect to the man as the head and she's she's saying that it's in a war zone so if she's aware of it he's aware of it because they're at war so for her to say hey he won't even acknowledge that we're at war i'm acknowledging that we are but he won't you know acknowledge that we are in trouble and show some concern for it so you know, wanting to fix it. I mean, even wanting to fix it if, if he wants to. So sometimes, you know, you never know with people, Colette, sometimes if it's not stated, there could be people that are used to some people. I mean, some people are used to drama and living in that. Some people are not comfortable in harmony because they've never seen it and they don't know how to navigate in it. 
Um, there's other times that it just becomes a thing where people let things just crash and burn because that way they don't have to really take a full responsibility for it. It just lets it just kind of happen. So yeah, most, of, most of us don't fix our own cars. We take them to a mechanic. So they should go to counseling. Yes, yeah, I agree. Thank you. Very a much. good point. <laughs> and that gives us a plug because of I forever will. And that is what right. Okay. Next one, you guys. How do you know when your mate is your soulmate? That's Monique out of Dallas, Texas. Hey, Monique. How do you know when your mate is your soulmate? Yeah. You know, so I've been doing like this informal survey uh, over the last, you know, over the last year, I would imagine. And I've just been noticing that every guy, well, every couple that we counsel, the guy, you know, even if he's had 100 girlfriends in the past or whatnot, it's something about when he meets his wife or the woman he's with that innately he knows that it's her and it definitely for me there's some soul ties involved in it. you know you're there's two souls recognizing you know each other's counterparts with each other and i i honestly believe that um that there is you know such a thing right where where the souls connect it's just like when you know you have a, a person that always gets with a cheater it's because that that particular type of soul recognizes either that weakness in the other person and and all i mean it's all spiritual well soul ties one thing but soulmate is well, another well yeah and but i mean when you were saying the souls recognize one another so check this out it, it's any given time seven eight billion people on this planet exactly. I, I don't think you can have a soul mate i don't think okay, god so that's <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll do you in this so house. So how do you know when your mate is your soul? Because, it, it, I mean, there's a feeling. There, There's that why we talk about, you know, you know, I want to be with her more than because of the fact that I love her. You know, I've got all these emotions running through me. I mean, you know, and I, I know that it's deeper than just love. Yeah. So is there such thing like Jerry Maguire with the You Complete Me? I mean, we know that that was a line in a movie, but there was a very impactful line and people took it and ran with it and was like, that's love, I want Well, you that. know I don't believe in the You Complete Me statement because I exactly, believe that and neither do people I. should come but, to the relationship. Oh. Sure, but I do think that what you're saying when it comes to a soulmate is like you're saying, you want to be with this person, you, um, that, you know, like it's like, you know, that whole thing of, you're the first person I run to when I want to tell good news or bad yeah. news or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Does, do you see what I mean by as far as the completion of it or even feeling So a soulmate should be a like a best friend, a, a, a total confidant, a person that, you know, that you can't go without because, you know, they're, they're so entwined in with you. So, so you said a total confidant. What was it again? A, you know, your best friend, someone that, you know, that you can't, live without that, that that you can't um you know that you have to be able to go to them for something because it's something pulling you guys together like that you know so that's me you know um i look at relationships like everybody has a role to play right and the man has a role the woman has a role and i think that if you're good at that role and you come together it could certainly look as if you complete me it could feel that way. And then if you're connecting intellectually, what the Bible calls it equally yoked. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when 
if you could if you connect intellectually and all those other things that you like like you might like the way she touches you or the way she serves your plate to you or the woman might like the way that the man holds on to her when they're outside or grabs her hand or opens her door I don't like at the bar so <laughs> exactly so you know it 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 just it could i just think that once those once you make those connections then it looks like a natural fit so i hate to compare it to like buying a car but you know when you buy a car once you get used to it it, it does everything you like and it has the perfect air conditioning yeah. The it doesn't feel the same. You're looking for the knob. Exactly. You're looking for the same features and it doesn't have. Ladies, it. are you listening to this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm only speaking I about like what you said before. I like and I do think I like what you said before about those things about the way she serves his plate, the way, you know, the way she touches him. I think that um a lot of things are transmitted um and translated that are just not spoken. I think right. a lot of that is, and especially when it comes to soulmate, there because it's totally spiritual, and spiritual is not always is necessarily words. Yeah, um, you know, I tell you what, for for me, and I think for a lot of men, I've recognized it, but some men might not recognize it, but they feel it is when a woman is in in her femininity. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was at a meeting um, a few weeks ago at this establishment, it was a private meeting and there was a, a woman there who is a prominent lady, right? And food was served and it was kind of informal meeting, but there was, you know, there was food there. She came, this prominent, this woman, she served everyone. Mm -hmm. And it was something so feminine about that, right? Like, you know. Gracious. It, it Yeah, because in life, if you believe in God, you you serve humanity, you serve your community, yeah. family, yeah. your people, so yeah. you know. And so, yeah. like, uh, um, I just found that um, her femininity came out, and she's someone that's a worker and does her thing. And but for that moment, that 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 femininity come came out, and that it's all in the name of service. My son is here this weekend. He's here a few days a week, and I serve him his food. You know what I mean? I, I I'm in service of him mm -hmm. and raising him and talking to him and giving him advice. So there's something about that. You're um, him as well by doing that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and that is that is true. It's got to be something that is totally from the heart. And that's where you really find out when you say soulmate, man. You know, Miss Monique. When you say, "How will you know?" I think if they're your soulmate, they're not just your soulmate. If you're not theirs, I think that it's a reciprocal thing. And you feel it. There's no lack in that as far as the cheerful giving, feeling um, fulfilled and um, and understood without having to, you know, request it or, you know, hey, ask for it and be acknowledged by it. And, it's an understanding and it's an expectation that you both are fulfilling. And, and real quick, as a concert promoter, backstage, we're servicing the artists. You know, we have a list of the things that they want and I'm not be, uh, I'm not above serving them i'm not above going to get something yeah okay, you, you need an iron let me go down to the down the hall the closet and get an iron and bring it in personally okay we got another one here this is denise out of tampa florida when should you stop trying in a relationship marriage what are the signs that it is over and irreparable well 
when there is a sincere disdain mm-hmm. for the yes. other person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, with that, that actually is a loaded question because what if your mates are narcissists? I mean, you yeah. know, and you just can't, uh, you know, get through to him or her. Uh, I mean, you know, and, you know, narcissists, yeah, they, they, they trick you into, you know, loving you and then they treat you bad and then they, you know, they love you more and everything. Well, they, they love on you and, yeah. then they, and then they turn around and do it again. It's just, a, it's a never ending. There's no, so there's no end to that, man. If that yeah. is the case. Um, Denise, so, but that's just one of the factors I was just saying. Right, you know. and and that's a huge one. And believe me, a lot of people are not. I think people are more so, and I don't know if it's because we're counselors, but people are more so aware of it now, and they're starting to learn for themselves and start to diagnose, you know, themselves, you know, self-diagnose, if you will. And so there are a lot of a lot of behaviors go with that, yeah. and people are not aware of it. And so it's such a bad word, a bad bad word that they don't want to be but they if they're not educated on it they don't know and it's it is something that is it's hereditary i mean it's something in the dna so it's something um to look into just to educate yourself and if you're able to recognize certain traits you know look into it and what's the opposite of narcissist to a degree is is uh low self-esteem so because if someone's mistreating you and it's uh, the person has been mistreated is allowing it how long are you going to allow that well that would be the codependency too i mean i think that that's a dream relationship for the two right there is the codependent person and the narcissist it goes fine until the codependent person no longer wants to play along yeah agree yeah. and not just that um to answer your what's her name denise denise, denise to answer your question a little bit more fuller here if you're in an abusive or an emotionally abusive relationship, verbally, yeah, that's irreparable. You need to get it. Yeah, yeah, and, sure. and that goes without saying. Yeah, and if it's mind yeah. games and all that, or just you know the gaslighting, the stonewalling, all of that stuff, I'm telling you right now, there's no way around it, and yeah. you are you are losing that fight. It's yeah. not one that you'll win because that person needs help. And, and we bring it up because of the fact that a lot of people. They're in these relationships. They're either too scared to leave, or this person, this other person that has them. And I say this other person because it could be a female that's the abuser as well. But they're in this relationship that they feel that they can't get out because he or she has told them, you know, they're nothing. They're nothing without them. They can't, you know. So there's so much emotional trauma that has occurred that. They're, you know, they're scared to move. They're petrified, and they don't know that they can. Well, I, I, so this is the thing. Let me just tell you this right now. For every woman that has asked this question today, you should get your own counseling for yourself. Right. You should get. I don't care about your mate. Don't be like, well, if he don't go. We not. You need to get it anyway because of the fact that you have this on your your heart. It's troubling you, and unpacking it and sorting it out with someone that can look at it very objectively. Um, and you know, I mean clinically would be able to give you some really good advice and maybe see it from a different lens. Yeah, I had a woman ask, uh, tell me some bad stories one time and I just asked her, well, why do you stay? And she said, are you telling me to leave? And I said, no, I'm not telling you anything. I'm asking you that you need to recognize why you're still there. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of like the Dorothy click your heels three times Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. 
Back to earlier, don't give up your power. Exactly. Next one. Okay, we're almost done here. Oh my god, we're almost out of time. Okay, let's go really quick. Haley out of Springfield, Illinois. Please help me with this. My husband does not make me feel loved, needed, or appreciated. I believe he takes me for granted. The only time I see effort is when I shut down and that lasts only for a short time. He seems either too proud or awkward when it comes to initiating the conversation after a blow-up. So Haley, you gotta sow what you want to see, and I don't know. You know, of course, we don't get a lot of backstory in these short uh, letters here or uh, emails, but you have to, you know, sow what you want to see. If if you want to feel loved and needed and appreciated, first of all, you have to communicate that to him. You know, closed mouths don't get fed, so you have to let him know this is what I'm missing in this relationship. One of the things that we ask our um, our, our counselees to ask each other is what do you need from me emotionally? What do you need from me physically? And, and that's you telling them what it is. And don't just be arbitrary. Don't just say, well, I need more affection. What does that mean? What does that what look, look like? like yeah. You know, so be able to express what your needs and, and, and all you know are because again, we talk about this so much on all of our shows that there's so much childhood trauma that transcends into adulthood with us. And I say us because everybody has something, everyone. And um, the thing is, is that if you're never treated for it, or if you never, if you were never shown love, uh, attention and affection in your home growing up, you don't have that in you to yeah. give. Yeah. So where would you pull from? Yeah. Where would you pull from? Exactly. You know? So, and I mean, we say this all the time, your marriage or your relationship is your child's classroom and you have to be that consummate teacher, <laughs> you know, they have to continuously learn from you all the time. And even if yeah. your, your child is dating, I mean, think about, you know, I mean, let's think about it. A lot of people weren't told the birds and the bees, like they said on TV and how they had the perfect family that had all these things in place and discussions yeah. and all that. A lot of people don't because they, they that was awkward. They didn't even know how to begin or attempt it because nobody did it with them. So, you know, when it comes to even how to move forward as an adult, how you even have that conversation with your kids, you know, like the Bible said, we said it before, get understanding, yeah. seek understanding. That's what you yeah. I'm oh. sorry, Lana B. We just cut you out of that one. Oh, no, no, that's fine. No, we can keep it moving. Okay. Lana, what do you think of this? Here we go. Janet out of Portland, Oregon. Recently, I was approached by a man who shows interest in me. My marriage has been one of habit. It lacks everything that a marriage should have. Loyalty, peace, and passion. I love my husband, but I do not feel his love for me, and I'm not sure he even knows how to express love due to he did not receive it from his mother as a child. Is the old saying true? If a man does not love or have a good relationship with his mother, he will not know how to treat love his wife? Am I wasting my time being loving and showing an example of love for him to feel it and know what it looks like to return it? Wow. So first of all, first of all, um, some people feel as if they need to have something set up before they leave. This woman has known for a while that she's had a problem in her marriage. And now that someone else has shown her some interest, she's now almost ready to make that move 
and that letter is justifying and she just made her case as to why she should be able to leave without having to deal with that issue. Interesting. I was saying the same thing. She started with that, so she led. She right. led with that. She yeah. led with that so that it was almost like, I'm going to present my case of why. Exactly. One little line and then all the stuff that supports why. You're absolutely right. She would have never presented her case if it that right so didn't have anything to do with it you, she could have left that out and still would have read the story that it did it had exactly it. Absolutely. well but except except terry it had everything to do with it because now she has somewhere to go the motive it's her motive <laughs> oh, yeah she um lady um what's her name jan jan in Portland, you shouldn't do that. You should go to Nike and buy you some nice, comfortable shoes. <laughs> and you should take a walk with your husband and you should try to work it out. And if you can't work it out on your own, you should fly to Houston and meet with Terry and Tori and book a session. Actually, they don't have to fly here. We do counseling virtually. Yeah, you oh, there you go. Absolutely. There you go. The, um, no, that was great. You know, the pandemic rate. No, but really, um, she's she, she really laid out a case on why she's going to leave. And so, something that um, a very smart guy, um, the sports guy, says all the time. He said, "Companies, husbands and wives know about a year ahead of time before they they they're going to move on from you." Yep. So if company's going to fire you or a husband and wife are thinking about leaving you. Usually a year in advance, they've kind of yeah, they made up their mind that they're going to mm -hmm. do that. They start to prepare. It's not the day they say, hey, let's No, talk. they start to prepare. <laughs> yeah. If you start noticing changes in various things, that mean that there's preparation going on. So right. Pay attention to that. Okay, last one. Sharita out of Richmond, California. I love my man. However, I'm beginning to think he is a narcissist. There we go. What is the best approach for dealing with the behavior when faced head on with it? Also, I heard that narcissistic behavior cannot be cured. Is that true? I, I think it could be cured, but only if that person is interested in getting, getting treatment. And so that person would have to first recognize that they are a narcissist and recognize that their behavior is hurting other people and then have... Um, um, the wherewithal and the commitment to, to make a change. So, That's and it's yeah. wanting to seriously wanting to because of realizing and really not liking that part of themselves anyway, not necessarily claiming it because again, we did say that it's genetic, but it does mean, you know, committing to making a change. And I think that what it is, is it's, it's deprogramming because if it's genetic, most likely they've been parented by one. And so if somebody teaches you to tie your shoes with the two bunny ears, that's all you know. And it's the same thing of how you make decisions going forth as a narcissist child raised by a narcissist parent. They teach you that, you know, the only way to eat your eggs is scrambled. That's what you grow up thinking. And so there's got to be some form of a deprogramming. I believe that the will and the want to is the first start. And that's the most sincerest and organic, authentic place to start from. I believe right. yeah. So you only know what you're taught, mm -hmm. basically. And secondly, I mean, does he or she realize or know that they're a narcissist? Exactly. That's what I'm yeah, they because they're going to deny it. So, yeah. yeah. So definitely counseling will help because counseling will bring this out into the forefront, uh, you know, for this person that uh, he or she will realize, okay, you know, I'm a narcissist. Help me. How do I get help with this? Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, but a lot of times it's so ingrained. I mean, you know, you can see it from a young age, you know, how people treat each other, you know, typically those bullies on the playground turn into, you know, narcissists in training. And if you have an overbearing parent, you know, it's, typically it's the, the, uh, the mother that's, um, you know, that's the overbearing one in a lot of relationships that we've encountered, not, not necessarily, but that we've encountered. And um, that child in turn becomes just like, you know, just like her. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Last question. Oh, this is for Mr. Tory. Yeah, I want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I will say your marriage doesn't have to look like our marriage or anyone else's marriage. Be careful in coveting. Coveting is not a good thing. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you never know the backstory. Yeah, you know, well, not just not know the backstory, but I mean, you know, you don't have the same issues as we have, or you don't have the same, you know, even blessings that we have. So you can't compare from that perspective. What you can compare is the characteristics of a good or a strong marriage. And one of the things that uh, that I looked at in selecting Miss Terry, <laughs> as well as the advice I give out is, uh, you know, to whoever you meet, you want to ensure that they have the fruits of the spirit of God, you know, and she definitely met all of those particular qualifications for me. So that keeps our love strong our marriage strong but we're just like everybody else yes, even though we we're are, counselors honey, and yes. we was arguing today yeah we were so yeah, we were. yeah not time. arguing bad i'm kind of sitting closer. over here i'll scoot a little closer because it does feel a little weird but uh yeah i mean no we and we do and we go at it but we're also together all the time and because we are counselors we know but we're still human beings a doctor still gets a cold yeah. You know, but we're still human beings. And so, um, and our feelings are our feelings. And one of the things I think that really drives it is we're passionate about all of it. Yeah. We're passionate about God. We're passionate about you guys and your problems wanting to help. And we're passionate in our feelings of those things that we, about you know, are trying to convey yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and passionate about each other. And so, um, you know, I think the, 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 the times that we are challenged, I think it comes from wanting to be the best we can be so that we're really walking the walk and talking the talk so that we can be the real deal for you all. Then we want to start with us first as the litmus test for fixing our things. As well as my husband, um, from the day I met him, he approached me as a champion. And he came to me with a plan. And his plan, he I mean, it was laid out and he followed it. And he was a man of his word. Being impeccable with your word is everything. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm. 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 I'm very happy for you two. You. You guys are our beautiful couple, and I've known Terry for many years, and I've never seen her as happy as she is right now. And so, I think that um, your 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 lived experience, um, you both have 
um, come together to be able to give great advice to people and to serve God and to be able to heal uh, the wounded. And um, um, Black America is wounded. It is. And, you know, we could cure our economy because if Black people would just recognize that we're wounded and we all need counseling because the, the systematic oppression and everything else that we've gone through in this country has damaged us we're talking about relationships today, but in business, in in our existence here. And so then we need to push all these young people to, to become therapists and get their degrees and get their education. We could have 100,000 more therapists if all Black people would go to council because we need it. It would, it would be our own economy right there. Wait, 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 wait. Let me let you in on a little secret right now. Black people do do counseling. <laughs> 99% of our business is uh, African-American. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 50s and, and that was always a taboo thing. But yeah. And I'm not saying that they don't. We need to do it more. I mean, yeah. the percentage uh, of black no, no, people. No, you hear it all the time. Black people yeah. do not do counseling. And that's yeah. why we say tell a friend. If you really care about somebody, tell a friend. Yeah. It's not what yeah. it is. Yeah. People do care. We need and to I'm thinking in general. I'm thinking, I'm, you know, is it so what percentage of black people do you think would be willing to, to go to counseling or, or, or doing counseling right now? It's growing. You know, it, it's it's definitely growing. And um, I mean, it's growing in the sense that people are realizing that they need help and that they can't do it on their own. And to be frankly honest with you, Lionel, the generations of today are much more different from our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents' generation a lot more differently where they handle their stuff in house nothing got out of the house you know i ain't crazy i ain't gonna sit no counsel well counsel don't have anything to do with being crazy i mean you need marital counseling because you're a man and she's a woman right and there's two different trains of thoughts right they're, they're, they're two different processing, you know, processing, all different. You know you're, yeah. you're dealing with emotions i mean you're dealing with a lot of stuff and like we said earlier in the show you do not have a book or a blueprint other than the Bible, which people really don't really get into a lot of, but we try to, you know, give them scripture and guidance from there as well. well. If, they weren't, if they never saw it modeled before, I mean, that's exactly. a problem too. Exactly. So people are Marco Poloing their way through life, yeah. trying to have families. That just, you know, but I, I, I said it earlier, but I, I find a lot of our people don't know their role. And a lot of roles have been have been crossed over, you know. Yeah. I find I, I I see a lot of masculine energy coming from a lot of our women, and I see a lot of feminine energy coming from a lot of our men. And um, you know, you know why? <laughs> because well, men are raised by women, and then the women they don't have a lot of times they don't have that that male role model. You guys, I'm so sorry. We have to cut it off. We're out of time. I just want to say this. Mr. Lionel B, we are so grateful for you taking the time out and spending time with us tonight. Yes. And uh, yes. you gotta come back. I think we need to do something like this with men and women in a panel. I think it would be phenomenal. Really Most definitely. It stuff. would be great. Well, thanks for having me. I hope I um, was able to impart whatever knowledge I might have onto the, the, the viewership. And, you know, we're gonna pray for our people and, and move forward. And let's get counseling, let's get healed. And because we have a challenge we have a, a lot of challenges ahead as, as black people in this country. Thank you so much. Thank you, you man. You did contribute to the republic, and we'll have you back. 
Have a wonderful weekend, okay? Well, you do. Have a wonderful weekend. We're going to give you Lionel's information. We'll put it on the screen. Lionel, is there anything you want to say right quick? Is like your handle? Uh, I'm, I'm, at, I'm Lionel B, B-A-P at AOL.com. There you go. Okay. Area Productions, Oakland, California, on the map. We love y'all. Yep. Thank you, honey, for helping me tonight. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a wonderful weekend. Make love not war. Good night. Good night.